Chapter thirty seven of Bunyip Land. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Bunyip Land by George Manville Finn. Chapter thirty seven How We Passed Through a Great Peril. It was quite evening when I awoke, as I could see by the red glow amongst the trees. I was rested, but confused, and lay for some minutes thinking, and wondering what had taken place on the previous day. It all came back at once, and I was just in the act of rising and going to see how our poor friend was, when I felt a hand press me back, and turning, I saw it was Jack Penny who was pointing with the other towards the entrance of the cave. "'What is it?' I whispered, but I needed no telling, for I could see that a group of the blacks were on the other side of the ravine, pointing in the direction of the bushes that overhung our refuge, and gesticulating and talking together loudly. "'They know where we are, then,' I thought, and glancing from one to the other in the dim light, I saw that my opinion was shared by the doctor and our black followers, who all seemed to be preparing for an encounter, taking up various places of vantage behind blocks of stone, where they could ply their bows and arrows and make good use of their spears. Just then the doctor crept towards me and placed his lips to my ear. They have evidently tracked us, my lad, he said, and we must fight for it. There is no chance beside without we escape by the back here and give up the object of our search. We must fight, doctor, I said, though I trembled as I spoke, and involuntarily glanced at Jack Penny, wondering even in those critical moments whether he too felt alarmed. I think now it was very natural. I felt horribly ashamed of it then. Whether it was the case, or that Jack Penny was only taking his tent from the greeny, reflected light in the cavern, certainly he looked very cadaverous and strange. He caught my eye, and blew out his cheeks, and began to whistle softly as he rubbed the barrel of his gun with his sleeve. Turning rather jauntily toward the doctor, he said softly, Suppose I am to shoot now, doctor? When I give the order, said the latter, coldly, there won't be any mistake this time? No, said the doctor, quietly, there will not be any mistake this time. He stopped and gazed intently at the savages who were cautiously descending toward the stream, not in a body, but spread out in a line. Fire first with large shot, he said softly. If we can frighten them without destroying life, we will. Now creep each of you behind that clump of stones and be firm. Mind it is by steadily helping one another in our trouble that we are strong. I gave him a quick nod. It was no time for speaking. And crept softly to my place, passing pretty close to where our friend lay wounded and quietly asleep. 
The next minute both Jack Penny and I were crouched behind what served as a breastwork, with our pieces ready, the doctor being on our left, and the blacks, including Jimmy, right in front, close to the mouth of the cave. "'We must mind and not hit the blacks,' whispered Jack. "'I mean, our chaps. Lie down, Jip.' The dog was walking about in an impatient, angry manner, uttering a low snarl now and then, and setting up the hair all about his neck till in the dim light he looked like a hyena. Jip turned to his master almost a reproachful look, and then looked up at me as if saying, Am I to be quiet at a time like this? Directly after, though, he crouched down with his paws straight out before him, and his muzzle directed toward the enemy, ready, when the struggle began, to make his teeth meet in someone. The savages were all the time coming steadily on, lower and lower down the bank, till suddenly one of them stopped short and uttered a low cry. Several ran to his side at once, and we could see them stoop down and examine something among the bushes, talking fiercely the while. "'They've found out where our friend was wounded, Jack Penny,' I said. "'Think so?' he said slowly. "'Well, I couldn't help it. I didn't mean to do it, I declare.' I whispered, and now my heart began to beat furiously, for the blacks, apparently satisfied, began to spread out again, descended to the edge of the little stream, and then stopped short. If I had not been so excited by the coming danger, I should have enjoyed the scene of this group of strongly built naked savages, their jetty black shining skins, bronzed by the reflections of orange and golden green, as the sun flooded the gorge with warm light, making every action of our enemies plain to see, while by contrast, it threw us more and more into the shade. They paused for a few moments at the edge of the stream, so close now that they could touch each other by simply stretching out a hand, and it was evident by the way all watched a tall black in the center of the line that they were waiting his orders to make a dash up into the cave. Those were terrible minutes, we could see the opal of our enemy's eyes and the white line of their teeth as they slightly drew their lips apart in the excitement of waiting the order to advance. Every man was armed with bow and arrows, and from their wrists hung by a thong a heavy waddy, a blow from which was sufficient to crush in any man's skull. "'They're coming now,' I said in a low voice the words escaping me involuntarily. And then I breathed again, for the tall savage, evidently the leader, said something to his men, who stood fast, while he walked boldly across the stream beneath the overhanging bushes, and one of these began to sway as the chief tried to draw himself up. I glanced at the doctor, being sure that he would fire, when, just as the chief was almost on a level with the floor of the cave, there was a rushing, scratching noise, and the most hideous howling rose from just in front of where I crouched, 
while Jip leaped up, hair bristling, and answered it with a furious howl. The savage dropped back into the water with a tremendous splash and rushed up the slope after his people, not one of them stopping till they were close to the top, when Jimmy raised his grinning face and looked round at us. Um tink big bunyip in um hole, um make um all run just fast away away. He had unmistakably scared the enemy, for they collected together in consultation, but our hope that they might now go fell flat, for they once more began to descend, each one tearing off a dead branch or gathering a bunch of dry ferns as he came, and at the same moment the idea struck Jack Penny and me that they believed some fierce beast was in the hole and that they were coming to smoke it out. The blacks came right down into the rivulet, and though the first armfuls of dry wood and growth they threw beneath the cave mouth went into the water, they served as a base for the rest, and in a very short time a great pile rose up, and this they fired. For a few moments there was a great fume, which floated slowly up among the bushes, but very soon the form of the cavern caused it to draw right in, the opening at the back acting as a chimney. First it burned briskly, then it began to roar. Then to our horror we found that the place was beginning to fill with suffocating smoke and hot vapor, growing more dangerous moment by moment. Fortunately the smoke and noise of the burning made our actions safe from observation, and we were thus able to carry our wounded right to the back, where the air was purer and it was easier to breathe. It was a terrible position, for the blacks, encouraged by their success, piled on more and more brushwood and the great fronds of fern which grew in abundance on the sides of the little ravine, and as the green boughs and leaves were thrown on they hissed and spluttered and sent forth volumes of smoke which choked and blinded us till the fuel began to blaze when it roared into the cave and brought with it a quantity of hot but still breathable air. Keep a good heart, my lad, said the doctor. No, no, Penny. Are you mad? Lie down, lie down. Don't you know that while the air high up is suffocating, that low down can be breathed? No, I couldn't tell, said Jack Penny dolefully, as he first knelt down then laid his head close to the ground. I didn't know things were going to be so bad as this, or I shouldn't have come. I don't want to have my dog burned to death. Jip seemed to understand him, for he uttered a low whine and laid his nose in his master's hand. Burned to death, said the doctor in a tone full of angry excitement. Of course not. No one is going to be burned to death. Through the dim, choking mist I could see that there was a wild and anxious look in the doctor's countenance as he kept going near the mouth of the cave and then hurrying back, blinded and in agony. We had all been in turn to the narrow rift at the end through which we had been able to see the sky and the waving leaves of the tree, but now all was dark with the smoke that rolled out. 
This had seemed to be a means of escape, but the difficulty was to ascend the flat, chimney-like place, and when the top was reached, we feared that it would only be for each one who climbed out to make himself a mark for the savages' arrows. Hence, then, we had not made the slightest attempt to climb it. Now, however, our position was so desperate that Jimmy's proposal was listened to with eagerness. Place too much big hot, he said. Choke em, choke em like a wallaby. Go up. He caught hold of the doctor's scarf of light network, a contrivance which did duty for bag, hammock, or rope in turn, and the wearer rapidly twisted it from about his waist. Now, Mass Jack Penny, tend here, he cried, and Jack was placed just beneath the hole. Jack Penny understood what was required of him, and placing his hands against the edge of the rift, he stood firm, while Jimmy took the end of the doctor's scarf in his teeth and proceeded to turn him into a ladder, by whose means he might get well into the chimney-like rift, climb up, then lower down the scarf rope to help the rest of us. As I expected, the moment Jimmy caught Jack Penny's shoulders and placed one foot upon him, my companion doubled up like a jointed rule, and Jimmy and he rolled upon the floor of the cave. At any other time we should have roared with laughter at Jimmy's disgust and angry torrent of words, but it was no time for mirth, and the doctor took Jack Penny's place as the latter drawled out. I couldn't help it. My back's so weak. I begin to wish I hadn't come. That's fine, grunted Jimmy, who climbed rapidly up, standing on the doctor's shoulders, making no scruple about placing a foot upon his head, and then we knew by his grunting and choking sounds that he was forcing his way up. The moment he had ceased to be of use, the doctor stood aside, and it was as well, for first a few small stones fell, then there was a crash, and I felt that Jimmy had come down, but it only proved to be a mass of loose stone, which was followed by two or three more pieces of earth and rock. Next came a tearing sound as of bushes being broken and dragged away, and to our delight the smoke seemed to rush up the rift with so great a current of air that fresh breath of life came to us from the mouth of the cave, and with it hope. In those critical moments everything seemed dreamlike and strange. I could hardly see what took place for the smoke, my companions looking dim and indistinct, and somehow the smoke seemed to be despair and the fresh, hot wind, borne with the crackling flames that darted through the dense vapor, so much hope. Tai-hai come long next him, whispered Jimmy, and the black ran to the opening eagerly, but hesitated and paused, ending by seizing me and pushing me before him to go first. No, no, I said, let's help the wounded man first. Don't waste time, said the doctor angrily. Up, Joe, and you can help haul. I obeyed, willingly and unwillingly, but I wasted no time. With the help of the doctor and the scarf, I had no difficulty in climbing up the rift, 
which afforded good foothold at the side, and in less than a minute I was beside Jimmy, breathing the fresh air and seeing the smoke rise up in a cloud from our feet. Pull, said the doctor, in a hoarse whisper that seemed to come out of the middle of the smoke. Jimmy and I hauled, and somehow or another we got Jack Penny up, choking and sneezing so that he was obliged to lie down amongst the bushes, and I was afraid he would be heard, till I saw that we were separated from the savages by a huge mass of stony slope. Two of the black bearers came next, easily enough, and then the scarf had to be lowered down to its utmost limits. I knew why, and watching the proceedings with the greatest concern as Jimmy and one of the blacks reached down into the smoky rift and held the rope at the full extent of their arms. Now, said the doctor's voice, and the two hardy fellows began to draw the scarf with its weight coming up so easily that I knew the doctor and one of the blacks must be lifting the wounded man below. Poor fellow, he must have suffered the most intense agony, but he did not utter a sigh. Weak as he was, he was quite conscious of his position and helped us by planting his feet wherever there was a projection in the rift, and so we hauled him up and laid him on the sand among the bushes where he could breathe but where he fainted away. The rest easily followed, but not until the doctor had sent up every weapon and package through the smoke. Then came his turn, but he made no sign, and in an agony of horror I mastered my dread and, seizing the scarf, lowered myself down into the heat and smoke. It was as I feared. He had fainted and was lying beneath the opening. My hands trembled so I could hardly tie a knot, but knowing, as I did, how short the scarf was, I secured it tightly round one of his wrists and called to them to haul, just as Jimmy was coming down to my help. He did not stop, but dropped down beside me, and together we lifted the fainting man, called to them to drag, and he was pulled up. Here, catch hold! came from above the next moment in Jack Penny's voice, and to my utter astonishment down came the end of the scarf at once, long before they could have had time to untie it from the doctor's wrist. Up, Jimmy, I cried, as I realized that it was the other end Jack Penny had had the news to lower at once. No, shan't go, Master Joe Carstairs. Go on, sir, I cried. No, shan't. Devil, 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 he cried, pushing me to the hole. To have gone on fighting would have meant death for both, for the savages were yelling outside and piling on the bushes and fern fronds till they roared. I caught the scarf then and was half hauled, half scrambled up, to fall down blinded and suffocated almost, only able to point below. I saw them lower the scarf again, and after what seemed a tremendous time, Jimmy's black figure appeared. Almost at the same moment there were tongues of flame mingled with the smoke, and Jimmy threw himself down and rolled over and over, sobbing and crying. Burnham, Hottam! Oh, Burnham! 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 There was a loud roar and a rush of flame and smoke out of the rift 
followed by what seemed to be a downpour of the smoke that hung over us like a canopy, just as if it was all being sucked back, and then the fire appeared to be smoldering, and up through the smoke that now rose slowly came the dank, strange smell of exploded powder, and the sounds of voices talking eagerly, but coming like a whisper to where we lay. End of chapter 37 How We Passed Through a Great Peril